Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome back to Your New Favorite Word. We hope you're having a fantastic week and staying well wherever you may be. We would like to give a shout out to listener Julie, who sent us a message to say, just finished listening to your podcast and I love them. Interesting, educational, and entertaining. Thanks so much, Julie. That is exactly what we have hoped our podcast would be. So we appreciate your feedback. If you too are enjoying your new favorite word, we would love so much for you to leave a rating and or review on our Facebook page or on Apple Podcasts, which helps increase the reach and visibility of our show. And today we're going to start with Jameis. What's your new favorite word? Excellent. Thank you, Tessa. I realized after we'd recorded last week's episode that I had intended to talk a little bit about where SHM reduplication (laughs) comes from. Reduplication, schmeduplication. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, It's interesting because there's some disagreement about where it comes from, but most people seem to agree that it originated in the New York area and uh, in the Yiddish-speaking populations. It's interesting because that SHM reduplication has also been picked up in Hebrew. Mm. So you see that if you happen to speak Hebrew, you might see that phenomenon pop up there as well. Anyway, so for this week, um, I've been reading about sourdough starter just because of the whole (laughs) yeast shortage going on these days. But the problem is I've done sourdough starter in the past, and our kids never really liked the sour flavor of the Mm -hmm. bread. And so I was trying to understand better how you reduce that sourness. And one of the sites was talking about one of the reasons being that your your sourdough starter might be underfed, which causes it to produce more alcohol. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see the alcohol accumulate at the top as a dark brown liquid that's referred to in bread making as hooch. <laughs> You'll see these sourdough sites talking about, yeah, so just pour off the hooch and da 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 Oh, that's and, fantastic. Yeah, it's it was not the context where I expected to be reading about hooch. <laughs> but it was really fascinating because it got me wondering about where that word comes from. Mm-hmm. So for those who might not have heard the word before, hooch is a word that refers to low-quality liquor. It's just the alcohol that uh, is distilled from basic fermentation. Moonshine, basically. Moonshine, lots of different terms. But hooch, the term hooch is actually short for hoochinu. <laughs> How do you spell that? H-O-O-C-H-I-N-O-O. Okay. Hoochinu. That's fascinating. And that was the name, is the name, of a native Alaskan tribe who, during the Alaskan gold rush in the late 1890s, brewed this liquor that was very popular among the miners. Uh, who had a hard time getting the, the, the better stuff they were accustomed to, uh, but it was better than nothing. And so they called it Hoochinu after the tribe, or for short, Hooch. And what's interesting is that Hoochinu itself comes from a Tlingit word <laughs> that means literally grizzly bear fort. <laughs> now, I don't know if that has anything to do with like the strength of the liquor or... Wow. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Anyway, fascinating. So then that got me thinking about other words for alcohol, and there's a bunch. I'm only going to focus on one, and that's the word booze. (laughs) 
booze is like hooch is just a fun word to say like it fits in the mouth nicely um but it comes from middle english where it was used both as a verb and a noun to booze booze (laughs) do you know which one came first the verb or the noun they both just kind of appear okay according to oed but it just means to drink also had connotations of to drink to excess for like entertainment Interestingly, from about the 16th century, it was also used in falconry to describe a falcon drinking deeply. Interesting. In fact, there was a 1575 treatise on falconry where, <laughs> speaking of a falcon, it says, With water before her, to the inn she may bathe when she will, and booze, as naturally they are inclined to do, for boozing may oftentimes preserve them from sickness. Interesting. So just... <laughs> Drinking up that Just water. drinking the water, right, boozing. Wow. Interestingly, it was originally spelled B-O-U-S-E and sometimes B-O-W-Z-E, but still pronounced booze. Yeah, usually. spelling is so changeable over time. That's yeah. fascinating. English, you see that. It's mm-hmm. so crazy. But outside of that falconry meeting, it still kind of has that connotations of alcohol consumption or referring to alcohol, but it has quite the history. It was really fascinating to see on... Uh, the OED, the different quotes and so forth that it, it referred to. But we being teetotalers <laughs> aren't familiar too much with the quality of booze and hooch. Uh, but teetotaler itself is an interesting word because the T is a reduplication, just like <laughs> SHM reduplication, you know, du- duplicates or repeats the word. Here we're talking about the reduplication of the letter T for emphasis about the word total, teetotaler. So almost like capital T total. Exactly. I am totally abstaining T with total with a capital T. Just that emphasis. And uh, I just appreciated how that uh, referred back to last week's yes, reduplication. Connection. So that's what I had. Hooch and booze. Just fun <laughs> words. <laughs> Whether you drink alcohol or not, they're they're fun words with interesting histories yeah thanks for sharing that with us what have you have tessa well my inspiration this week came from a fantastic friend and devoted listener who sent me a link to a really interesting article which i will link to in the show notes about new words that are being coined in dutch to describe pandemic related phenomena so our world right now our societies are going through this pandemic time and new words are coming from that and one of these words is used to define a longing for human contact while in isolation is anyone experiencing that i know this is something that i've seen as i work with older adults in lots of different settings this isolation and not being close to loved ones Um, and really longing and hungering for human touch. And this Dutch word, I'm not going to pronounce it very well, but um, H-U-I-D-H-U-N-G-E-R, something like hoodhunger, meaning skin hunger. Interesting. Is something that's being talked about. And it's a very real phenomenon. Another one, this was maybe one of my favorites on the list. There were quite a few, uh, and you can look at the article for more. But this one, uh, again, the pronunciation is probably going to be terrible, but something like hushamta, meaning coughing shame. So the idea that when you're out in public, 
If you have to cough, you have this emotion associated with not wanting to cough, but needing to cough and wondering what everyone's going to think of you for coughing and the shame yeah, that's so real associated with that at this time in our world history. Yeah. And so coughing shame is a new word that they're using there. So this is really fascinating. I love this idea of coining new words and especially that new words come about from experiences and shared experience. And but the word itself coin why do we say to coin a word? That's a good question. So this is my new favorite word this week is coin in the sense of coining a word. And I wonder, does it relate to the kind of coin we use as money? And if so, how? So the word coin came into English around 1300 as a noun, meaning a wedge or a wedge-shaped piece of something. Oh. And that comes through Old French from Latin, cuneus. Oh, cuneiform. Yes, exactly. So if you think about cuneiform, the writing system created by the Sumerians of ancient Mesopotamia, they had a wedge-shaped tool that they used to um, inscribe their characters. And so that's the meaning there, wedge. But the tool that that people used originally to create coins was wedge shaped and so it was called a coin the apparatus that was used the die is i guess what you would call it Um, and it's used for stamping metal including coins so it became known as the coin and eventually through extension the thing stamped became known as a coin as well And this was actually my favorite little tidbit. In Middle English, a word that could be used for someone that minted coins was a coin smiter. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So I just love the imagery in that word, a coin smiter. So then further extension, so we have this noun, a coin, and it came to be used as a verb to make something, including money, by stamping metal. And then eventually... Um, used in a figurative sense to make or devise or produce anything. And there was, at least at one time, kind of a negative sense of to coin in a verbal use, to fabricate, invent, or make up something specious, pretentious, or counterfeit. So the idea of counterfeiting not only money, but... um, Something like this example from 1695, whatever excuse he is able to coin, right? We make up something on the spot, we counterfeit it. This was kind of a negative idea. And then eventually to frame or invent a new word or phrase, usually implying this is done with deliberate purpose and sometimes in a negative sense, like, oh, you just made that word up. You just coined that, right? Mm -hmm. But now we don't necessarily have that negative connotation associated with it. But people do still often have strong feelings about the authenticity or the legitimacy of words. They might say, is that in the dictionary? And that's kind of their standard, right? Is this a real word? If it's in the dictionary, then their answer would be yes. If it's not, they would say it was no. Their idea of what makes a real word is based on the dictionary. And so my question was, How does a word get in the dictionary? 
right? How soon will words like skin hunger and coughing shame be in Dutch dictionaries, for example? So there is a series of really fascinating articles on merriamwebster.com that I will link to in the show notes. It talks about this exact thing. How does a word get in the dictionary? It's really fun to read. So the question is, what is the purpose of a dictionary? And as I mentioned, some people believe that a dictionary exists almost like a Bible, like a standard of these words are okay to use, these are legitimate, these are real. But according to the author of this article, and according to my understanding and belief, is that a dictionary is actually, um, what this author said, a user's manual for communication. That's a great perspective. Yeah. So a dictionary aims to be a reflection of words that are actually being used and not prescriptively saying what can be used and what can't be used and how things must be used. So this is kind of a different idea than a lot of people might have about a dictionary. And the criteria that dictionary writers, which are called, by the way, lexicographers, that's another great word, the criteria they look for is how frequent is the usage of a new word, how widespread is it, and how meaningful is it. They're looking for words that are not just a flash in the pan, right? And words that aren't just local to a certain group and words that aren't meaningless, right? They want something that's going to stand the test of time. Some people, so you might imagine a very proper English teacher might get upset that slang words, I'm putting slang in quotation marks here, are becoming entries in the dictionary. They're horrified that the dictionary is now legitimizing these words that they don't feel are proper English. And they feel like their students are saying, well, it's in the dictionary, so I can use it. And these articles talk about how, of course, context is everything, right? Because a word is in the dictionary doesn't mean that it's appropriate for every context or that it's understandable by everyone. They're just reflecting what is happening in the world of language out there. And so there's a link that I'll also give, a list of words that were slang in 1916. (laughs) And this is just a smattering of those fun words. Okay, Awful, fake, fan, as in a sports fan, grouchy, (laughs) jinx, kid, meaning a child, a human child, and roughhouse. Those were some that I found interesting. You would never think to use those only as slang today or to call them slang or to believe that they were slang or inappropriate to use in standard modern English. Um, And this just shows that yesterday's slang may stick around and become generally accepted and understood. And that's the process of language. It's the normal way of things. It's... It's the uh, circle of life. <laughs> yeah, and the people that try to prescriptively put barriers in the way of that change, it's like, you're doomed to fail. <laughs> yes. Or sometimes, often actually, slang may disappear from usage. And that, that does happen a lot. That things that are very popular for a short amount of time go out of usage. And those are not words that end up in the dictionary. Because... Um, 
lexicographers like Palpatine watch the career of new words with great interest. <laughs> so they're looking for words that have longevity, that are around for a number of years before they're entered into a dictionary, and spread through different locations, through different strata, through different sectors of the population. They want it to be a little more widespread. And this I found was really interesting. They are looking for cases of words being used in edited sources. So not just on someone's blog, but maybe in a magazine or a journal or something like that, where there's an editor involved and that person decides this is something we're going to print in our magazine. So instead of the dictionary prescribing legitimacy, standard English, usage creates that standard. And it changes over time, obviously. We're not still speaking early modern English like mm -hmm. Shakespeare wrote in, right? It's changed a lot since then. And it's really fascinating to me how that has happened. Definitely. So that's what I thought about this week. That's groovy, Tessa. Thank you. <laughs> Rad. <laughs> that's really fascinating. I, I, I love to, to think about that stuff. Uh, thanks again to everyone for tuning in this week. Please don't forget to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or, frankly, anywhere on social media at all. Um, we always appreciate people spreading the word about your new favorite word. And if you have a word you'd like us to feature, drop us a line and tell us about it. We'd love to dig in and research and share what we find about it. So what's your new favorite word?